0: I, we, we realized with predictable revenue, we thought, okay, some businesses can grow just through referrals and some can grow through an outbound strategy. But I think today you have to have, you have, to have an advertising arm or marketing arm, like, and it's the same, to be able to get to your customers because all your customers are being advertised to, whether you're advertising to them or not, you need to make sure that you have a predictable strategy of driving new customers to your business. It is the fastest way to grow.
1: Welcome to Building Bigfoot, the podcast to grow your business profitably. I'm excited because I'm introducing Steven here. He's actually my brother, co-founder and co-CEO of Street Text. And uh, it's, Street Text is a platform to really grow your business with uh, Facebook ads and Instagram ads and to reach more clients through an acquisition funnel that you own and you build Uh, and, and really it's about performance-based marketing. So it's about effective ads that get you leads, that get you outcomes that you're looking for to grow your business. So without further ado, I want to introduce Steve and Steve, why don't you kick it off? Share a little bit about your story and this is going to be fun. I, I I've never got an interview before. Uh,
0: so my story, any particular Where do you want me to start? I guess.
1: Start at the beginning. So, like, uh, all the way back. Did you always know that you were going to be in business? Is like, oh, was entrepreneurship okay. something like rooted in your in, uh, yeah, your DNA?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I would, uh, you know, even when I was when I was little, when I was younger, I think I always admired. You know, it's funny. Even as you ask that, I like I, I connect all these memories really quickly. But there's some that really stand out. Like, I always remember the fascination of like seeing I remember like a businessman almost in an airplane like that that kind of initially connects where I just kind of felt like they were like you know you you were just doing big things and on an adventure and going places And I think that was one thing that that I that I really liked but it was more than it wouldn't necessarily mean that you were working for someone it was like that you were trying to that you were on a trip to sort of uncover something or find something or figure something out and uh, you know another another kind of analogy that comes to mind isn't really an entrepreneur, but like the kind of like the James Bond persona, if you will, of like working kind of on big challenging tasks, you know, saving the world. But I, but I, but I would definitely would feel like you know I mean, maybe it's not the best analogies, but like though if you combine those two together, they, I guess there was a sense in me always of like just the adventure of of business. I saw. I saw, I always saw myself in that kind of environment and not, uh, and not just in the same environment every single day, kind of like punching the clock, if you will. And so pretty early on, I would, I would start asking, I remember asking my mom questions just in regards to, you know, like work or business or, um, and she would do her best to teach me or kind of like, uh, I guess kind of prod me in that direction of that entrepreneurship. And, yeah. And so I think early on, I just kind of always had the desire. I remember, um, I remember asking my mom a lot in regards to, you know, like what people would make or how much money you made. And I would ask my mom even how much money our, our parents made, because I, I think I was also trying to build a little bit of, of a model in my head in regards to what was capable and what was sort of like, what, what are the, you know, I think you can't help, but almost like you start to create these benchmarks and say, if, if this is what I see in your life and this is what you make, well, then I need to make more than that if I'm going to have some of the things that that I desire or want right and I think like it maybe coming back to James Bond a little bit, you know the James Bond kind of like character is filled with uh like fancy gadgets, you know really cool cars um you know like just things that there's you can't put a price on any of those things if you know what I mean like when you're gonna go uh when you're going into um those sort of environments it's it's really about you know just being able to put all these incredible resources together. And you know, this just sounds funny, but this last this last weekend, I was invited to an event. And it was actually it's actually a winery here in the Okanagan that I didn't even didn't even know existed. And all of that James Bond stuff would have existed, if you will. Like huge uh, hundreds of millions of dollar like facility. I won't mention the name, but like incredible place people showing up in James Bond style, very fancy cars, guys landing in a helicopter, you know, we're in a private tour. So I think, I think there was maybe, maybe that's a perfect um example of it all coming together a little bit. And then I'm chatting to the guy who owns the helicopter and he says, Oh, you know, if you, you'd like, if you're interested, I'll take you up and, you know, you can fly it around a little bit. And I'm like, Oh, this is, this is incredible. Absolutely. I would. Right. So I don't know that, that was a very uh, interesting way of of talking about entrepreneurship, but I, I would just say that th- there's definitely a part of me always that's just fascinated by just what, I guess, what's possible. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: That That's pretty cool. So for you, it's really about, crafting and opening up the uh the the kind of life that can be possible through entrepreneurship that maybe is not possible or as easily possible as easily accessible through other avenues and so it's like navigating like what which what direction is gonna really create that um create that life yeah yeah <laughs> Well, as I, as I talk about that,
0: I'm thinking to myself a little bit, it's not actually that I even care about the money. I, I think I just, I'm more fascinated with what experience is possible, right? Or what you can do, um, you know, okay, the other thing with James Bond, going back to this for a second, it was always really clear to me that this guy was on a solo mission, but he was supported by an enormous team, a team of like really interesting people that were providing like crazy skill sets, right? To make things happen. And together they can take on these monster challenges uh, and literally save the world, right? And uh, so I think that was another thing that stood out to me too, is like, if you want to do really cool things in life and you want to take on some big problems, you're going to need to surround yourself with an incredible team and you all get to participate and partake in that incredible adventure when you work together like that. So I think that was another thing that I found interesting about entrepreneurship is just you know, when you combine a bunch of different talents together and a bunch of different uh, people together, you can take on really, really big challenges or, you know, take on big problems. So, yeah, I, I, you know, even as a, it really isn't even about the money. It's about the size of the problem that you're taking on and what that can look like when you, when you take it on. Like, what can be the outcome of that or what can, what can the adventure be like when, uh, when you work on that together? So I would say that even when I talk about this last weekend, for me, it's more of just, again, witnessing in the real world, kind of all those things kind of playing out and seeing like all of these people are um, incredible people that are doing exactly sort of likewise. And then even them working together, they can take on some interesting challenges. So it's I think for my brain, it's just a uh, it's just fun to kind of see it kind of playing out.
1: So so i mean like you're a very like you're a naturally curious person and uh, i can see uh so our our dad um is very much a uh, like scientific brain very analytical he loves to think loves to research he's constantly sharing the latest research that he's learning and it, it it's neat actually to hear how you are applying that to life in a way it's like you're you're curious you're meeting people you're like okay tell me a little bit about that like you know I, i'm like how did you get the helicopter or what does it take to to um, to uh, to have that helic like that helicopter scenario, the James Bond scenario? And then there's another piece that you're sharing, which I think is interesting, which is you you're clearly more drawn to the Mission Impossible or James Bond type teams, where you know that there's a team working together versus Jason Bourne, who's a solo guy on a solo mission, um, and he doesn't necessarily need a team. He's just this guy who's who's um, Kind of independent and is doing his own thing, whereas for you, you're like, okay, how do we, how do, um, how do we collaborate in a way where everybody gets to participate and win in this adventure? And uh, so, for you, what what's like the thing that's most exciting to you right now? When you kind of look forward outwards a little bit, maybe it's the the James Bond technology, maybe it's what's happening in the space. What's what is it that fascinates you? And especially in regards to technology.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously just sticking on that theme a little bit, you know, I, I, we really are living in sort of that, that world, that environment now, right. Where, especially in the, just even right now, like obviously, obviously with AI, right. Um, I think AI represents you, you almost, you almost can't even make, I was actually thinking about this the other day. I don't even know if you can make the movies that we could have made in the last little while. Like you're going to you're gonna have to start pushing the envelope a little bit because I feel like all the movies that were made of AI, right, were of kind of what it's possible right now. And we're already well beyond that. Like, in other words, you know, you could, you could, and back to James Bond, I mean, he'd wear glasses that could like maybe, uh, they had a camera in them, right? And they could record a conversation or identify people. Or voices. Well, all of that's possible, but it's not just possible for the military or for, you know, the Secret Service, but it's possible for the average consumer, like the average developer that's super smart and can access much of this different technology. Uh, I mean, it's not that far away. If somebody, if, if we wanted to start a company today, you and I, and wanted to lean into that technology, we could probably create, I mean, it takes a bit of money, but you could have a prototype out pretty fast of something like that, right? Like it doesn't, it's not... All of that stuff's within reach. And even from my own mind, I was, I was actually – sometimes I just play around with, like, different scenarios or of things that can happen. I mean, another one that could be totally terrifying is you see these videos of robotics and how they move and jump. And, uh, you know, you, instantly you all the movies come to mind of recent that you see where it's pretty terrifying and you're living in a not a very futuristic world from today – it seemed futuristic, but it could be right now where you know you've got a you know a group of survivors being chased down or hunted down by a bunch of robots, and then you combine those robots with what's even available in a i today and you're like they would never make it <laughs> like in the movie they're able like the technology's not that smart or there's like these huge gaps uh you know everybody would have to run around with like an e m p device of some sort that they could like you know you would need that because um you know so that if that makes sense so i think and i'm I'm talking about more like um sort of doomsday sort of scenarios but but i mean they all tie into james bond like keeping on that theme you know like all of those movies would almost seem too realistic if you made them today you would you got to stretch the envelope a little bit and i'm kind of wondering what that is like what is the next envelope because even the matrix and all those things that we grew up on and All these different movies, I mean, the Terminators, right? Like all that iconic stuff that really kind of predicted what scenarios like today could look like, it's all here now. And the next three to five years, I think you you almost have to brace yourself for what's coming. Like it's going to be a much more intense uh, curve than I think most people are, are anticipating. And sorry, so with all that in mind, like what is when the futuristic thinkers that wrote those and created those movies, you know, 20 years ago, some of them, or, or even just like the matrix concept, what's next? Like, what are they going to be thinking about? Because I'm like, what is, what is that? Like, what is the next is we're here. We're in like the future of futures, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I was listening to the Boston Dynamics CEO uh, in an interview. And he was saying, the funny thing is that he's actually really scared of chat GPT but he's not at all scared of um, robotics. And I think the uh, irony there is, that, like, as a human nature, we look at stuff like AI or robotics. And the thing that terrifies us is the thing that we don't understand or we don't know. It's usually the fear of the unknown. And, I, and he was saying there's a lot of safety like protocols and mechanisms getting put into robotics. But the reality is I'm not scared of uh, you know AI through chat GPT at all. It doesn't terrify me at all. The you know the idea that somebody might uh, or that AI might be starting to craft uh, like media and, and, and news articles and putting it out there through the different channels and we wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Well, ChatGPT is taking the ready existing human content, repurposing it and putting it out. So none of the content that it would be putting out wouldn't exist already. Whereas with like Boston Dynamics, the robotics. You're facing a real threat. Like, what if you know the robot and ChatGPT merge, and now you have this intelligent robot that has decided uh, <laughs> that it it can it wants to restrain people for their own safety? That that kind of thing terrifies me. And uh, you, the the strength of those robots is insane. Like, if you watch the videos and how much um, power those those machines are created to have, based on their motors and their their workings, it's it's impressive. But terrifying. But the but what he was saying he's he was saying that the future is going to be in uh, is going to be in the job landscape, especially in Europe, where there's there's a huge migration of workers that are moving out of the uh, jobs that they used to be in, and uh, the problem is is that the European population isn't growing fast enough to sustain the workforce, and so they need a workforce of robots to be able to continue to provide the quality of life. That we've all kind of come to know and love, uh, and you know Tesla is saying that they think they're going to be able to have robots out this year or next year, and so you know that's another big mover. And their whole plan is to get household robots, so that you're going to have yes, they'll have machines that work on the factory floor, but their goal is to have somebody or a robot that's now in your kitchen, and uh, and then of course they also want to work on on AI. So that's that's even doubly terrifying, but. Yeah, so it is. It's a it's a brave new world.
0: Yeah, and I I actually am really, you know, not terrified of it. Um, you know, you you mentioned AI and robotics mixed together. I would actually be much more concerned if I was to play on the fear side for one last minute. It would be much more, you know, like you think about iRobot and then they got all these robots and and we you think it's linked to a person, but it's ultimately linked to like this like machine that's at the center that's trying to like take over the humans and whatnot. And 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 I think I mean obviously there's a possibility there, but I think that's less likely. I'd be much more terrified of a government agency controlling the robots in a sense, uh, or some or something like human control, because like it's just you know you there'd be so much power in like in other words, the point is if a robot's chasing you and it's intelligent. And it has a pro, like an objective, and it's got all the resources available. You're not going to get away from it. I mean, you couldn't even hide from the military today if you wanted to. You know, you see those movies where people are running through the the woods and they're getting what you wouldn't get away. <laughs> and uh, but you add the robots to it, and it's it's, it's game over. But um, I actually don't think that's really the scenario that I think is likely. And I mean, I mean, obviously, I don't know the future, but for me, I get much much more excited about what you were just talking about. How? What will the productivity mean for the world with robotics and AI? And they're kind of coming out together at the same time. Like robotics has been in production like or working for a long time. And AI, obviously, there's been a lot of work on it. But like, you, you know, you get in the consumer side of it now. We don't really have a consumer side of the robotics, but we have a lot of machines already that are like a robotic machine. Maybe they're not like moving around all on their own, but some of them are like some of those Machines in in the factories are still wheeling themselves around, lifting, and you know, bo- you know, taking specific barcodes and inventory and moving them around in the warehouses. And so a lot of that is is actually out there. It's just been more on the, um, I guess, the you know, the business side, not just the consumer side. But I get like excited because we're entering this interesting era. You know, if you ever follow, and, I, and I'll just speak about it for a moment because it's just it's just on my mind a little bit. Like if you follow a guy like. Ray Dalio. And he's, you know, he's kind of like showing these big debt cycles and these big kind of like uh world changing world order cycles. And where we're at today, we're all we're also we're kind of at the cusp of like a big cycle change of some sort. And yet you could never have predicted robotics and AI. And so what drives more productivity creates huge value, like if you can, like, you know, you think about just basic economics, like productivity is the number one driver of like wealth, right? Like if you can create productivity in an economy, you can create enormous value and enormous wealth. And so what does AI and robotics mean if you can get it out fast? Like, does it almost change that whole variable in where we're at today? Like we are in a bit of a precarious position, but, or, and maybe it doesn't, but I, I, I wonder about that. Like what if you could have a ro- a robot in your house that could do your house cleaning, could mow your lawn, um, could maybe at the future even pick up groceries. Like, and I mean you can even have groceries delivered today, but you could just the, the robot could I mean I guess AI could actually already execute on the grocery orders for you, and then it's just gonna show up at your house. And maybe you even have a robot that takes those groceries and puts them into your into your your fridge or You know, there's like, if I think about, I, I've got a lot better in the last number of years of hiring some things out. I still do, you know, a bunch of things, but I, but there's a lot of things that I'm still, my time is filled up. Like when you, even if you're just maintaining a home, vehicles, all that kind of stuff, there's actually quite a bit of your life that goes into that stuff. And you, and we're pretty good about getting it done. You know, like you, you're kind of working around, um, even if you have friends coming over, well, I gotta quickly put the pool cleaner in and then I gotta go do this thing and do that thing. And you're kind of getting ready, but what if a robot could do all of that? And and to me, that's actually really exciting. Like I think, and now that's just, that's one kind of productivity, but I still think that would save the average consumer a lot of time. But what if like, you know, so many, so many kind of tedious tasks were completely eliminated and everybody, even in a company, wouldn't have to do them. Like, you know, we're one of the things that we, we need to consider obviously is like hiring more like research assistance or assistance for some of our team members. What if AI could come in and just eliminate so many of those administrative stuff that bogs down everybody in every role? Um, everybody has tasks that come up where it's more work for you to find somebody to do the task than just to do the task yourself. So You just do the task. Where if you could have a really good AI model, you know, like an example would be, you know, I was just helping our sales team migrate over to a new CRM. and and I, it was just easier for me to go through and, and audit a bunch of the data and clean it up myself and move it over for them. Because I really want them focusing on what they're doing. That's not really the best use of my time either. I don't want to have to, like it's going to take me way too long to find somebody. So I'm just, I spent like almost three days solid on just doing that. Like it, and I used, actually I did leverage AI slightly in it. But it would, and I used it more for like formulas for like my Excel sheets that I was, or Google sheets. But what if you could just give it the task? And we just do it. That that kind of stuff gets me really excited.
1: Yes, and I was even thinking, like, uh, you know, landscaping. You imagine you could just like use AI. Yeah. Well, not not just weeds, but weeds. like, what if you oh, what if is. you had a picture in your backyard, and you're like, oh, if only you could create this. You go to AI and you say, generate a super cool oh, that- looking backyard landscape. That gets uploaded into the brain of the robot, and then you just have the the you know the tr- dump yeah. trucks drop off the the rocks and the sand and the gravel. You come back two days later. And there's your robot just picking up the rocks, putting them where they need to be. And then all of a sudden your landscaping is complete. That's, I think that could be game-changing. That's
0: actually very interesting. I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, all of that is possible.
1: Well, oh, actually, it's, it's possible today, like with the way that they've designed those robots. They, can, they have such amazing balance.
0: But it's like a convergent of possibilities. Like you have, obviously the robot could do it, but the robot could execute, because we know that we could properly... You know, you, all the, with all the other technology we have, like we could one hundred percent actually, you know, properly grid that out and make sure that we have like a real three D model of what it's going to look like. You could even see the progress real time. So, yeah, I agree. I think that would. I didn't even think of that. That would be incredibly
1: or, or, powerful. Or the housing affordability crisis is largely a constraint of demand and uh, or or of supply, and so you know, it's I used to work. Yeah, I used exactly. I used to build. I used to be in construction, and so I understood like, the process of building a house. But you could literally have the plans installed in the brain of a robot. It it can use its its hands as as everything from screwdrivers, drills, uh, able to move all the lumber, cut it, saw it, and and just go to work. And and it could work twenty four hours a day. You know, within maybe the limits of uh, of public policy. So maybe we say these are the quiet hours, and uh, and then that that robot now can build houses. For way cheaper because the number oh, yeah. one cost of production when it comes to homes is not the, the raw materials, it's the labor. The labor cost is the most expensive part.
0: Well, and time, you would be able to shrink time as well. It's, it's interesting you say that because, you know, a, a big in the last few years, a big thing on, was the 3D printing and like, hey, we could 3D print a house. And a 3D printed house essentially is just removing a lot of labor, like to your point with a massive, massive robot that's printing. But as much as it's like cool and as much as what it does, it's kind of (laughs) ugly. Like, uh, you you know, like the, like the, the core of the, and it's sort of rigid, like you you have to be able to like have a continual 3D printed uh, kind of um, what's the word? Like Like a medium, like maybe it's concrete or something that you're kind of pouring And But that that is robotics at play, to your point. But, but if you could have a little bit more flexibility with your robots and like have this design and they execute on it perfectly. Also, to your point, you know, I hadn't even thought about this, but like one of the things on a job site is how much waste is there? Huge waste. You know, when you're building and you're measuring, you're cutting, like you know, you're, you're thinking it through and a good builder is thinking it through. But at the end of the day, they're not optimizing for waste. So they're not thinking about each board they cut. But a robot could have every little bit of lumber that's even all the inventory that's on site in its mind as it's operating. And it already knows every board it's going to cut and what length and what to use and all the upcoming pieces it'll need in the future. A human just can't, can't calculate that. Not only could they not calculate in the day, they just can't keep calculate, making those calculations as they're moving through the job. Like, you could probably get way more efficient, we'll use less material. We, you could even use other material from that site on other sites because you know what they'll need on those sites. Like, a human brain could never know that. Like, you know what I mean?
1: Yes, I know exactly what you're saying. And, and you know, what is it? The, uh, they looked at the calories burnt by uh, the, the world's best chess players. And in, um, during the chess matches, the world's best chess players were burning something like 6,000 calories, which is as many car- calories as a Tour de France cyclist burns in a, on, a, on a day of the Tour de France, which is nuts. And that's just from focus and thinking. And so th- it, it just shows how much resources it takes to concentrate and to really think through all those problems. Whereas for like a, a, a computer, that type of thinking is actually pretty easy it's it's very very good at it where humans are much better at we actually come we're really good at at pulling ideas together and we're really good at coming up with creative ideas things that didn't exist previously or or being able to um to problem solve and and, and that's probably the reason um we've we've gone to where we are today as a society is because we're good at problem solving and we can collaborate and work together as as a society and come up with collective solutions uh yeah this is so so let's like dial it back a second. Uh, can, I, can I say
0: one last thing to just as we shift gears, cause I, I know we need to for time. You know, what you just said there is interesting. It's something I haven't put a lot of thought into. The AI is so incredible because you're so right. Like what makes humans so special and we don't necessarily like, I, I think I know where it comes from, but we get these insights and we get these ideas that then we can make possible. And entrepreneurship is just that, but th- that plays out in many, many ways. Like somebody can walk by and see a bunch of like homeless kids and, have, and suddenly take action on that scenario. And within a few years, has built up this incredible program that raises you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to solve that problem. But it was like something that it was just, they saw it in their brain and they needed to solve it. And there, everything came around that because their vision is so powerful. And as humans, we, we are way better at the idea ideation and you know some of that we work on ourselves and sometimes these ideas just pop in your brain and then machines can execute on that the execution is can be quite hard and we it's so it'll be almost even more fun and i really don't think that the machines are gonna are gonna do that like however smart it gets it'll get like i think there's something truly truly special about a human that people have to worry less about when they think about all this cool technology it'll actually be better because though those insights those those incredible visions that come in our minds, are hum- that's human. That, that's not a machine thing. And, and I know it's not a machine thing it, it, because of the disconnect. Sometimes what you, idea comes in your head, there's no path to it based on the current. It's not even like you're solving a problem. You have an insight in something that never even existed in your mind prior. Like you don't even know where it comes from. And that, I think, is pretty special, what makes a human unique. So anyways, we can shift gears. I just wanted to close on that
1: yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense like I remember watching the documentary I think it was the Bro- Brooklyn Bridge. It might have been the Brooklyn Bridge it might have been the Manhattan bridge and the, uh, the the guy that was working on it back in in the 1800s uh, he said something profound which is it takes it only took three weeks to design this like he obviously is a, like he was working pretty hard at it, but to design the the schematics and the engineering for it, but that created work for years for thousands of men. Because the execution, the ideation part is is it relatively like we're we're naturally good at that. But it's like you can have an idea, but then actually seeing that idea come to fruition takes a ton of execution. And that's usually the part where, if ever there's going to be like the world's best teams, they're great at execution, and they're great at execution as a team. The the world's best um, everything it comes down to to the quality of that execution. So uh, so shifting gears slightly. Uh, before you uh you started street text before you um tell me a little bit about your your journey so like you you've you've got this idea you got this inkling um where do you like do you just know straight off the bat what it is that you're going to do and what you're going to pursue how do you get to the place where you're starting to create business
0: yeah so going back to kind of like we're, we're, we're just being a little silly there, talking about james bond stuff but uh Nonetheless, obviously a seed was planted and I knew I wanted to do, I guess, my own thing, if you will. And so, you know, I go through high school and when I'm graduating high school, you know, our mom is incredible and she is making sure that I'm going to pick something. I, but our mom cared about more than anything else. And you'll remember was like some sort of post-secondary degree, right? You know, she just wanted to make sure she could get her kids to a point where they had something to fall back on. She'd often say that. And um and i and i I really appreciate that in her she she definitely you know just wanted to make sure that we, we were pushing to at least that point and then we could take it from there but i remember the only two things that i was interested in or when we went through this we had a book i was looking at you know the the university in Kelowna it was actually the college at that time but i was looking through all the courses and the only two that really stood out to me were um computer science and business and Throughout that journey, I realized really quickly when I would speak to somebody like my orthodontist would would, be working on my teeth, but what I was really fascinated with was the life that he could build out of it. And it seemed like that was the path to get there. So I was considering even that for a little bit, but it, even with that, it became clear to me, I wasn't really interested in becoming a dentist or an orthodontist. I was more interested in the business side of what he was doing. And so it was business, but obviously I had this really strong inclination towards computer science too, because that time, if you remember when we were younger, I'd take computers apart and put it back together with our dad. And I was really fascinated with, you know, just back then we were working on like DOS. I remember when Windows came out, but it was really hardware based. You know, you're doing a lot of like hardware, you know, um, you're upgrading your hard drive or like thinking about just how excited it was when you could get a little bit more RAM in your computer. And all those kinds of things are gone today, you know, in terms of like just the power. But anyways, all I have to say, I was fascinated with how computers work. So those are the two choices. Going to university and uh, I'm studying business. But I remember they would always, in the program I was in, they were kind of always trying to put you into a lane. So fairly early on, like, do you want to be a manager? Do you want to be an accountant? You know, do you want to be like a financial planner? Do you want to be an invest, like on the investment side? Um, you know, do you want to be an economist, right? Like there's all these kind of like different lanes a little bit. And I was interested in all of them and definitely didn't want to be defined by any of them, if that makes sense. I, so I remember I really struggled because it, it was interesting to me that certain personality types, they 100% I want to be a manager. I want to go for a manager role. I'm thinking about applying for co-op positions as soon as I can with the manager title. And that terrified me. Like I, I had absolutely no interest in that. Like zero, Zippo. Like I remember even thinking there was something wrong. What, what is missing if I have no direction. I just want to take all the studies and be very general at it. I mean, even the law, we studied some business law, which I found so fascinating, but I knew I did not want to be a lawyer, but I wanted to know how the law worked. And so anyways, that was kind of like that journey. I took all the general studies. The most interesting to me was the finance side. So I leaned a little bit more on that and the accounting side. Um, Graduated university with no job because I had no job in mind, but it coincided with a man that I had met and he was a commercial real estate developer. And he, he was sort of somebody that was in my kind of like network, if you will, through church. I had seen him and I admired him. And uh, I literally just went up to him and said to him, I will work for you for free if you can teach me what it is that you do and how you do it. And so, you know, here I am coming to university with zero income mind. Like maybe I said, I, it's not really about the money. Like I didn't really care about the money. I, I was more focused on like the learning and the skills. And so anyways, I go to work for this guy and literally he was paying me zero. Um, and then he started paying me a thousand dollars a month. And for the thousand dollars a month, he, he, he also, he was actually a, a student of that mentality, if you will. So he saw no problem in paying me very little because he, he actually would say to me, What I'm gonna teach you is much more valuable than what I'd be paying you. And and I, I learned a lot from him, but I also did a lot of uh mediocre things. I picked up his kids from school sometimes. I like I was literally his assistant. But he gave me huge responsibility very quickly. You know, I was renoing, which I didn't want to be doing either. I was, I was, we were buying these commercial buildings and I was literally demoing them. But then before I knew it, I was with him on this franchise side and we were we were putting in franchises. He put me in charge of of seeing the whole projects from a PM standpoint the whole way through. And then he put me in charge of running the businesses, hiring the people and then making these businesses profitable, which is pretty which is which is a pretty um, extensive set of skills. You know, when I look back, it was a pretty big ask for somebody coming out of university that had zero experience and zero understanding of how our business actually operates it other than the theory. So anyways, I worked for him for a while doing that. It was an incredible opportunity. Um, The challenge a little bit with that scenario was I didn't realize at the time that this particular individual had some, uh, I guess, you know, nobody's going to know who it was, but it's public anyways, but this individual was manic. So I went away on a trip. I remember I went back to Africa and because that's where we're from, we're immigrated from South Africa. So I'd gone on this trip and, there, I was just dreaming about like the next wave with this particular individual and company. Like I just saw a future there. Like I, the stuff we were working on was only ever expanding. And it, even though I was working with someone, you know, it was, it was it, it, I think this exists a lot in companies that people don't realize. There was entrepreneurship, there was tons of entrepreneurship within this company, within this opportunity, right? Like there were no limitations placed on what was possible, And so I was very excited. I came back, but when I came back, it had like burned down. (laughs) You know, it was, we were suddenly running into money problems. This individual was not the same person. Um, They had over leveraged themselves on some personal stuff. We were selling buildings. It was just crazy. And so anyways, that, that was another side to witness, but I, I ended up, because I was doing the commercial leasing as part of also the, uh, this building stuff. I had to become a real estate agent. I didn't want to become a real estate agent, but I became a real estate agent as part of the process. And I remember even doing that. I actually had sold our parents' home; like they needed some help selling their home, and they wanted to do it actually at that time by themselves. But I was their agent. I helped them do it. I created all the contracts. I sold it for them, basically. I I did the buyer stuff. I like I brought people through the property. And so when everything kind of crashed, and I ran into a personal injury, I'd broken my ankle really badly on a motorcycle accident. And so anyways, I remember when it all crashed and burned down, I had a real estate license and a broken leg. And I went to, I started going around to some of the, um, I started phoning some agents in Kelowna and I ended up meeting a guy named Wade Webb or LePage. And as soon as I chatted with him, it was just, I knew I was going to work there for a while. And so long story short, I became a real estate agent and, um, and I have to admit, like for any real estate agents, because I work, obviously we work with thousands of realtors. I mean, I never knew my life was going to involve so many, working with so many real estate agents, but I never could have imagined some of the really cool things that would come out of being a realtor. Like I, I would say I was a reluctant real estate agent. I didn't want to be one necessarily like, cause I wanted to do this other commercial development stuff. Like this was not part of the plan, but when I did it, I met incredibly interesting people. I learned a ton. It opened up a lot of yeah, you just, you just work on really interesting deals. And very quickly because of my skill set, I was doing commercial deals as well as residential deals. And I found it really fascinating. Um, anyway, so fast forward through that, this is where it gets kind of cool. You know, we would, this is before apps, um, 2007, 2006, maybe somewhere in that neighborhood or somewhere in there. Um, I don't know how much time we have, we're going to do a really faster, but, uh, you know, I ended up having this idea that op- all these real estate agents were running open houses, but open houses, there was no way to like drive traffic to the open house other than you'd have to have your open house signs. And there was no like website for open houses back then. And it was hard. And so I remember having this, I thought it was a really good idea. I remember, I remember having you and mom over, I think to one of my open houses and I was like pitching this idea and you were like, oh, that's really cool.
1: Oh, right, so what's funny about this is that the pain was so obvious because you're sitting at this open house. You're in this neighborhood. You, you. I think it was a townhouse Nobody at the time. <laughs> Nobody was coming in, and you're like, you're like, I placed the advertisement in a newspaper, but you have no, you have no eyes on on uh, if somebody saw it. How many people saw it? Like only if they pick up the phone and call you. But who's ever going to do that? So it's it's like it's it's this black box and you have no way of measurably knowing how many people are going to show up to your open house, there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way of marketing open houses and, and running open houses. I remember you sharing that with me, and I'm thinking, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And you could, I could see the wheels in your, your mind w- were starting to turn as you had all this time <laughs> hosting this open house.
0: Well, and just from a date standpoint, it's interesting you say that it's a good reminder. That wasn't my only advertising was in the newspaper. Like, so just... Just think about that, like how much has changed even between then and now. But I could only advertise an open house in the newspaper and I had to do it at least, I think it was at least almost 10 days prior or maybe up to a week. But after that, it was in production or print. Like you couldn't, you couldn't, if you decided you want to do an open house on Friday, but it happened to be Wednesday, you're out of luck. Like the best thing you can do is put your signs up. There was no like last minute open house advertising. It, It did not exist. So big, you know, clear problem. Uh, So anyways, we have this idea and I start getting excited about it. And so I start researching names and I am horrified to see that because we live in a city called Kelowna, that open house Kelowna already existed and somebody had the exact same idea as I did, you know, and and I, so I was horrified to see this and I, you know, and back then, like you just think so differently, right? So you think it can only be one. And, it, and maybe they could have only been one, but that's like exactly how you think. But I went down, found out who it was. And it was a guy named Art Bosma, And it, he was in my office, like he was in my real estate office. And I didn't even know who he was, but this guy couldn't believe it. He had stolen my idea and he was in my office or whatever. But, um, you know, being that entrepreneur, again, you like get on the phone and you reach out to him. I think I emailed him or I forgot how we made contact. Anyways, it turns out Art is the nicest guy you could ever meet truly an incredible entrepreneur of his own. He has more ideas than mo- he brought Bitcoin to us when it was nothing. And I don't even mean nothing. It wasn't even, it had never even got a publication yet. Like it was, it was nothing. And he this was is before,
1: about- this is before you, there was, there was such a thing as uh, online uh, 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 you couldn't even trade it. Like there, you the only way you could it. get it was if you had a, a wallet installed on your computer. And then yeah. you had to manually sure. make the transfer. Sure.
0: It was so, it was so technically difficult at that point. Like hardly anybody was using it, just some developers and Art brought it to us. Like that's the kind of, he is so early on things and like has that mind. Anyways, I meet Art, talk to him. He's so amazing. So nice. So generous, like just so open to work together. And, uh, I ended up buying into this little business. I, I figured how much I paid. It's probably like, it was probably like $2,500. Maybe it was 5,000. It was somewhere in that neighborhood. I like buy in and so Art and I become partners and I buy 50% of the company. And we don't have a dream for just open house Kelowna. We want like all the neighboring cities and then eventually like Canada. And we get all excited about this. And uh, but we ran into a really interesting snag pretty quick, which was, you know, who's gonna build all this stuff for us? Like who's gonna code all this stuff for us? And you know, we got all these dreams, and we can't afford a coder and we're like real estate agents. But I'm like, oh, but John. He's in school, but he's been teaching himself. You, this Jonathan on the call, my brother, has uh, been teaching himself some stuff. And I saw some website stuff that he was creating. So after maybe Art and I had worked together for a few months, I figured how long it was. It wasn't that long. We then go to John. And we pitched to John like this new journey, this new adventure of these open house cities and what it can mean. We run the revenue numbers. And I think we got you interested, right? Like, And actually, was was open house or was Centurion Resales before? Was that before that kind of like within that mix? Cause that's a whole nother
1: story. I, yep, we had settled. already, we had already done Centurion resales at this point. Okay, so yeah, let
0: just briefly talk about that. I, I get this commercial. Oh no, we don't get, so uh, I think it was Art and I, or I decided, I mean, this other girl had other realtor had decided it's sorry. This is right in the middle of all the story, but it's important that we had decided that we wanted to like canvas this new construction building and so we created a website for it, which I think was, again, very unique. Like we decided to create a, we were going to be the experts in this building. And I don't know if anybody was really doing it. Again, this is newspaper days, but we create an early website of this, um, of this building. We want to make sure that everybody knows that we're the realtors for it, even though we had no listings in there, we weren't, we were nobody, but we couldn't figure out how to get it out there. So we, we worked with John to create a quick re- website called Centuria Resales, and we got all this print material for it. These flyers and we got into the building and we like just stuck them under all the doors and the building was still being pre-sold by the developer and i got a phone call as like a 21 year old or 22 year old or maybe it was 23 i think exactly my age oh no maybe it was maybe it was 24 so anyways anyway somewhere in that neighborhood i get this call from a guy and he says i don't know if i should sue you or work with you and i was like huh and then i was like oh shoot like did i break a rule Anyways, he was the developer. Actually, he was the son of the developer, but he, they worked very closely together of this the Centurion Centuri building. And it's like they were out of Alberta and they did many construction units. They were like huge pockets, you know, very wealthy people. And they were building all these buildings. And one of them was Centurion, which was like a flagship building of that time in Colonial. Like it was the number one building. And, um, but he was obviously impressed with my marketing. He wanted to meet me. And I think it was Laurie at the time. So he meets with us and, um, we end up getting all of the remaining inventory. Our Centuria resale site actually takes off. He loved it. He thought it was genius from a marketing standpoint. And we start getting all the, so not only were we getting the new inventory in the building, but we were getting the resales like as we had hoped because people believed we were the experts in the building. So people that had bought that wanted in our cell were contacting us and we were putting all these listings on the website. anyways, I knew John could code. This website was a huge success. So I pitched that, showed that to Art as well. Art said, okay, I think we should work with John. We pitched open house cities to John. John buys in, he's excited. But we didn't, he didn't buy with cash. We just, this is again back to how generous art is. We just split the company now three ways, right? Because John was gonna do all this heavy lifting for us. He was gonna put on all the sweat equity skills that we didn't have. We just we divided it and um off we went. And that was. Um, I know you probably want to chime in so much here. Maybe what I'll do is I'll just fast forward a couple of scenarios and then you can just, or interrupt me. Open house cities, um, we ended up raising a friends and family round for this. We ended up hiring a few people um, and we went for it. Like we went to try to build this out and it it would have had legs maybe, but, but, you know, the internet was right there. Uh, Apps were right there. It was kind of like an in-between bridge um, that, uh, oh, shoot. I feel like I'm going to sneeze right now. So, (laughs) oh, man. Um, So, anyways, it was was right there. But we had all these real estate agents, and then we come up with a new idea. And the new idea came out of me and Lori actually being in a listing this one time, I think. And we were, like, just, we were leaving a listing, and a client was asking us, like, how much is that home over there worth? We didn't know we'd have to go back to the office and check it out, check it out. and we, Or if we had had all the listings printed out ahead of time in a binder, which is like super painful to do. We're like, wouldn't it be cool if you could like text? You could see a sign. You could text for information on the property and get it. And so we, we came back to the office, pitched that to John, and we we created Street Text. And Street Text was a company that would enable real estate agents in Canada through a short code to... Use their phone to text for information on listings and get all of that information back on their phone. And again, we just thought, brilliant, like this is going to be so amazing. We priced it at $15 a month. And it was our first uh, company, not actually, John, you have a whole nother story in this. You can talk about your clothing company. So for you, it wasn't a physical company. but For us, it was the first physical company and digital because for the product to work for real estate agents, we actually have to physically make these real estate signs and ship them to you. And it only worked if you both had the technology and you put these signs up on your listings. And now all of a sudden as people drove by, they could text for information. And then we got into QR codes and we thought that was so revolutionary. Put all these QR codes on our signs and we just thought it was amazing. But it was, it was a really hard slog because you had to teach realtors why they needed it or get them to want it. Then you had to teach them and literally how to do it. Like I remember we would be on the phone on a demo and we would try to teach them, okay, now you're going to go to your phone you're going to text this number. No, 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 you got the number backwards. Like you need to put the short code in first. What's a short code? Uh, and then you got to put the, you got to text this number in to do the demo. But they would like get them backwards. And, and then eventually they'd push the button right and it would work. And then they'd get information about a listing. But sometimes that would take like half an hour, just that part. And we were selling a $15 a month product over the phone. We knew no unit economics. We didn't understand it. We were really excited to get people to prepay for six months or one year. But uh, I mean, we're talking like $90 to prepay. And anyways, all that to say, um, it was a nice to have product. I envisioned we'd have 1,000 to 10,000 customers in no time. It didn't work that way. Uh, But we learned a ton through it. And I remember we, you know, we were running out of our friends and family around. We had hired a few people for it. We had actually revenue in it. We had made a bunch of sales and it was cool to see our signs across Canada. Like we had signs in Toronto. I remember driving out to the island once and seeing signs out there. We were in Vancouver. I would see these, like, that's us. I remember being in Vernon and a friend of mine owned a a big steel, like this, uh, this container company. And like, there was a home that was being sold and people had the containers in the yard, which was his company. And I was with him in the car. And they had the sign of street text up on the, they'd used to sell the property. And that was my company. I'm like, how is that? That's amazing. Even of itself and how cool that was. But we, 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 you know, we struggled to get it really to scale again. um, Not much time we got here, but I'll just keep telling the story really quick. We end up working with this one real estate agent. And uh, because a few realtors would say to us, you know, this is like 2014 now. And we like street text. We like that people are texting for information, but how can I get more of it? How can we get more people texting? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I can't force people to put their phone number. And I can't force people to, you know, um, want to do that. And that was like, but I'd been watching Facebook advertising and it was just when Facebook ads had gone from the, this, the ads on the side, to having ads in the newsfeed. I needed to figure out how it worked. And so I spent some time researching and figuring out, and I felt like there was something there. And I'd seen a couple of real estate ads and I thought, oh, this could work. We had these real estate agents and they were saying to us, they wanted a bit more leads. And I convinced this local realtor to give us $500 because we had no money of our own in the company anymore. Like we were, we had basically run out of the friends and family money. John and I were paying ourselves nothing. Like back then we, like we were, we felt, I thought I was making no money with, with that other guy. When you start your own company, we were making like no money. And, uh, anyways, we, you know, it was, it was definitely a tough slug and we were learning a lot kind of those early days of entrepreneurship, but we, so I had this realtor and he gave me $500 and with that $500, I could use it to advertise. And so I just went to town on Facebook and we tried this and we tried that. And we were trying ideas while still, you know, running the other company, but we were trying this, but it also just so happened that I had bought my, um, we, I don't real estate. Previous, but it was our first house. I just got married. And that's a whole other story in and of itself. Like talk about feeling like you're getting married and you're like a failure <laughs> when your company is so close to like the end. And, you know, all the family or like, you know, they referred you as like this, like, wow, Steve's an entrepreneur. And I mean, that's a whole nother podcast we can do. Just like, you know, you're trying so hard, but yet inside you feel like this is, you know, it could all it's just a house of cards. It could just crash any minute. Right. And so I've, i bought this house, my wife and I bought this house. We were renovating it and, and we we're renovating it urgently and quickly. And it was requiring money because our daughter, my so our first child, our daughter was about to be born. She, and, uh, and we had all this rental work to get done. And literally the company is at the, it's past the 11th hour. Like for John and I 8 hey, we're not making ourselves any money. It's was declining. And, um, it, it was just—it was really hard, super hard. And so, you know, I got this—this—this this, this money where we're advertising, and literally nothing's working. Nothing's working. I'm spending all the money on Facebook. Facebook, and this is true today. It will happily take your money. It was happily going to take my money. Then it will happily take your money today, whether you get results or not. And, um, but I—it was a Sunday morning, and I had been pulling in our kitchen. We had the subfloor, and they had like glue. And they didn't just staple the subfloor to the kitchen floor they had glued it as well and so it was just a horrible job like you're you got you know you're trying to get it's like breaking off in pieces like this big right and it's like the particle board and just leaving this huge mess and and it was really frustrating and so i i decided to take a break i went to starbucks i think i had maybe like 50 dollars left of this guy's money nothing had worked and i had tried one more ad idea i tried this last ad idea in starbucks remember i ran it Pushed it out, launched on Facebook, drove home. I'm in mean, my phone. I put my because we had no furniture in the house. Like the house, the house was just like a complete like construction site. I put it on the ground on not on the subfloor, but on like the other part of like the living room floor. And, but there's no carpet or anything. So if your phone vibrates, you feel it. And I always have my phone on silent, like it's just but on vibration mode. And so here I am back on the subfloor working away, painful, and my phone like I can feel it vibrating. And I thought someone was just trying to get a hold of me, but I just wanted to get what I was doing done. But it kept vibrating. Like it just kept, I remember looking over and I could see like, just like it would light up. And I thought I could see all these messages on it. You know, and it was maybe like 50, 10 feet from me. Finally, I stood up and went over there. And what I had done, the way I had set it up was that if I generated a lead for this real estate agent, I would send myself a notification and it would show like a text notification. And it would say new lead. And literally my phone just had, was covered in like new lead. It was just new lead, new lead, new lead, new lead. And I opened it up and I scrolled through. And like in that moment, I knew that we, we had something like, if, if I could do this, I knew if I could do it for him, I could do it for more people. And that was the birth of, of the new, I guess a 2.0. So we still kept the name street text, but it was going to be on Facebook ads. You know, John had obviously been a big hand in making all that te- early technology and stuff work too, and. We were just so excited. And then it was just hit the phones. So I started phoning all these different real estate agents that were existing clients of ours and pitching this new product to them. And it was strung together. Like it was as prototype as you could get. It was like literally I, I had a Google sheet that they, this was the product. It was a Google sheet that I would let like new leads would show up in because I would use Zapier to
1: like put these new leads in and I'd run everything like. It was zapier zapier didn't exist yet so we were using oh, i thought it did no no zapier didn't exist yet
0: i'm trying to remember how i got the leads in there without zapier
1: oh, we <laughs> were doing direct um we were doing direct apis to google uh through the uh through the application so
0: I, okay either way um i was we were able to get the leads into that sheet and that was the product like and so every time you sent up another customer it was great but every time you wanted to make an update to the product you had to go and do it customer by customer by customer because it was not there was no product and we were we were in the, under the guise of a software product but there was no product cuz we you know, we were like agency at the night like the millionth degree in the sense that we were running your ads we're setting everything up we were uh, you know coming with all the creative we were we were just handing it to you in a silver platter in a sheet, but we were not charging you agency level prices. We, weren't, we didn't even know what an agency was at that point, and uh, we were giving it to you not only at software prices, but at like the we thought we started charging at eighty nine dollars a month, which to us was a huge price because we were charging fifteen dollars a month for our previous product. So we thought it was this huge price point, and uh, but we we were doing like literally fifteen hundred dollar a month work at least for these customers. And giving it to them for $89. So the value was huge, but we had really no product. So it made sense. But uh, anyway, so that was the beginning of what Street Text is today and how that came about. And I mean, that's a whole nother story in itself from 2014 to today. But that was kind of the origin, I guess.
1: Well, do you remember, uh, so we were, this was even before you were working with that agent um, who was, uh, I believe, Daryl Ruder. Who was our first, our very first real estate client? And in fact, he actually ended up like massively growing his business as a result of Facebook ads. Um, it was really cool to be a part of that. But before that, we were running a e ebook. Do you remember that? Where because we were we were thinking with Listing Leader, uh, which is what we called it, the text for info solution. Uh, we're thinking, okay, we need we need a way of of driving our own acquisition funnel. And the challenge we had was that it was it's really like. It's really cool to grow from referrals, but it's really slow to grow from referrals. And so we were thinking how do we how do we increase the the ability to acquire customers? And uh, we were getting great referrals. We had people who were saying to us, this is like we love your company, it's so cool. You guys build such easy to use product. We're getting this really really great feedback. We go to trade shows, we go to fairs, um, and we we're building these cool relationships, but then like nobody was going to Google and searching how do i get you know text for info solutions and so there wasn't the natural demand in the marketplace because we were going out educating people so we said okay what is what's going to create the demand so we began testing ebooks and we actually one the 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 ebook that had the most success at that time was we had been running ads i think we created our very first ad in 2012 and it was these side um these side boxes basically and so we created an e guide ebook on how to create facebook ads for yourself and we began to run that first as an e-guide then on as a facebook ad and i think in like three months we had more people download that e-guide than we had like d- captured customers in the previous like three years prior combined and so we're like wow there's so much demand for this we maybe we should be thinking about creating a solution for that which got the whole ball rolling um which is it's the journey that you you then went on to describe. That um, I, I it's it's fascinating hearing from your perspective because I remember from mine feeling all the same feelings. <laughs> it, there's a part of me where um, it, it I, I was like conflicting right because you feel successful you built something but you also feel like a failure because you feel like it's like it 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 could just disappear like it was all a facade and and I hate that feeling. I really don't like that feeling. I wanted to make sure that what we were building and what we were doing. But then the other side is I saw so many incredible um things and we got to build these these great relationships. And uh I remember yeah, I, I, I could go with it, but that's my story. So for for you, um what do you see as next? Like like looking back now, fast forward a decade essentially, and what do you see the future of advertising? What do you think it's gonna look like?
0: Great question. I, I just want to add one thing to what you just said, because it actually happened last night. So as our month ended last night and I was looking at the revenue we brought in, I just kind of glanced over it. And then it, there it was a small part of me that like went back to like that day, like early days. And I thought to myself, I can't believe I just glanced over this number. Like this is a number that was so beyond anything we could even have hoped for back then. what i mean like from a revenue standpoint and it's not a small number like it and when we were early days i mean if we could even have just done like we would i remember just dreaming like if we could do the company could make ten thousand dollars a month you know what could be possible the company could do like fifty thousand a month right like in terms of revenue you'd be like all our problems would go away you would think to yourself imagine one day if it could do even more than that. Like, you know, and so it it actually took me back a moment and just realize, realizing, um, how grateful I am of everything that we've done and the team that we have and what we're working on. And now we can take on bigger and bigger, uh, challenges and bigger opportunities, but also just a sense of what's possible when you stay the course and you, and you're consistent. And, um, you know, and, it, and it's, you know, John, like, you, you know, this, like our journey, I mean, I, in terms of years now in this business, we have been probably at like 13 years or what, what, was it 14? It's because like, it, it's been a long time of like the whole journey. Like, I forget exactly how many years it is in total, but
1: I think 14 maybe.
0: Yeah. Like it has not been a fast road for us in the sense like, you know, you hear these guys that start a company and three years later, they've sold it for like, you know, three hundred million dollars or whatever. Um, you know, that, that has just not been our journey, but I also wouldn't change anything from it. Like we have learned so much from it. And I think it's, it's, uh, but it has not been a fast journey, but, it, but it's also a good reminder for anybody listening, like stay the course and keep building and keep going because you learn so much and your learning begins to compound, even if you don't feel it. So looking forward for the next 10 years in the future of advertising, The future of advertising from, from this is just my perspective. And I, obviously John and I share a lot of this, but you know, we can, he can build on it in a big way is the future of advertising is going to be more fragmented than before. And so you're, you know, for a while there, it was literally just like a couple players in the advertising world. Um, You know, TikToks didn't exist. Pinterest didn't exist. Like all that kind of stuff didn't exist. And, um, and it was pretty easy to, if you could just be on one or two platforms, you could get the majority. That's still largely the case today but it's becoming more fragmented than in the past so you're gonna have you're gonna have more advertisers you're gonna have more channels you're gonna have more um, places that you need to be and each of those channels is becoming quite complex so even if you just want to advertise in Google which has an enormous um, reach or Facebook and Instagram has enormous reach each of those platforms uh, so an example like YouTube you need specific ads you need specific content you need specific sp- uh, strategy, you need to like I kind of joke about it, but you literally needed like it doesn't have to be a long degree, but you need a degree in it to run it to work it, and it's very different than PPC. It's very different than Facebook ads. It's very different than even how you're going to run certain content on Instagram or Instagram Reels. Like they're all or TikTok. They're all different, right? And they all have their own um, their own way of basically tapping into the algorithm. They have their own way of like how to run ads or get return or ROI from your ads consistently and how you need to be able to monitor and track that. So for a business owner, it's complex and hard, you know, and you got to kind of pick a channel. Um, and if you get a pretty smart team, maybe you can take on two channels, but, or maybe you pay a lot for a pretty big agency and it can do all those things for you, or you string some tools together. Street text has always set out to make that easy for a business owner and to make it. So what we we'll, Largely what our company has been doing and is going to continue to do is we aggregate a lot of the data. We look at what's working on the platforms and then we give you templates that you can build on a work farm, but that you just push a button and you get results. And that has been kind of like the name of the game for us. And we were very early on that. And then obviously there's a lot of other companies that are trying it. But yeah, even when I see what they're doing, they're never doing it the way we're doing it. And I'm very proud of the way we're doing it. We made some hard decisions early on in how we aggregate our data. how uh, We have lead attribution uh, and how we keep that all consistent one-to-one. So touching on that, um, lead attribution has only got harder. You know, you look at all the iOS 14 updates and what Apple's doing. And I mean, Apple's got its own game. It's playing in that. And, you know, that was a great kind of like dig to Facebook, but it's changing the internet because, you know, obviously the internet's changing, Google's changing, um, any sort of third party pixel data is changing, you know, if you don't own that data, it's heavily changing. That's why you jump on every website and it's asking you if you can opt into the pixel, any sort of third-party pixel, what they're using it for. Privacy is a big deal and it should be because you need to know what you're doing. But the point is, is that the landscape is changing and all of that has a huge impact on advertising. And where it has a huge impact is on visibility, right? So if you're spending $100 or $1,000 or $10,000, what ultimately are you generating from that spend? And that is way harder than you think. Like, If you run one type of ad with one type of category in one type of channel, maybe you can get some visibility. But wait till you start trying a few more things and you try to run different advertising on different platforms. And maybe you're hitting the same people but you don't even know what you're hitting and then you've got a website and you're driving trials. Try to figure out the attribution for every one of those channels and how they're performing. Also knowing that there is a synergy when they're playing together. So you have to account for that too, not an easy task. It is much, much harder than you think. Um, And so Street Text has really set out to solve that problem, to, to have that attribution. We can provide that attribution, but also make it a very simple platform that you can make advertising decisions on and actually get results from. And so I think the future is only going to get harder in the advertising side, but it's also going to become more... It's going to become more powerful than ever. Like we have never seen the amount of companies that are starting on the internet today, and that's great. Um, there are way more software companies that have ever existed. News: the the traditional advertising mediums are basically dead. Like you still have TV today, but like if you think about where Ford is going to spend the majority of its advertising in the future, you know they see TV as a channel, but it's nothing like it was.
1: No, past. it's going to be it's going to be YouTube. It's going to be. It, it, yeah. yeah.
0: And, and so the point is, is that I think there was a time where though some of the big established players were still there and a lot of the big companies were there and you had, you didn't have as many companies that were leveraging a lot of the, like the Facebooks and Instagrams, but uh, that's noisier now. And now all the big players are on those platforms. They've been there for a while, but it's, it's the digital play is only bigger and getting more fragmented. The mm-hmm. amount of influences we have today, is like the new world of like content creators and like you want to be on their channels and get into their media and they are eating up a bunch of the airtime, if you will. And then you've got like just a massive of like companies that are trying to become media companies. And so I would say it's going to become more important than ever to be that your content you're creating is being seen and that you're getting good attribution from it, but that the challenge there isn't going away. It is only increasing and that's really what I see the future of is like, you know, for, for the businesses that we work with, we want, we can, we can cut through that noise. We can get you to the right audience um, effectively and, and get a good return on that ad spend so you can grow your business. And then the other large side of that is that I think for a lot of businesses, they also underestimate the power of the database. They underestimate the relationships they already have in that they already have, but they also forget yeah. Underestimate how many how many companies are advertising to their existing customers and going after the existing customers, and how important it is that they make sure that they keep that 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 kind of foothold in that customer's mind that they are the brand that you want to be working with long term, um, and that when the next transaction comes up, um, that they are the person you're thinking of, and so that's also a big part of what we do and what we've been specializing in, making sure that your brand is top of mind and front and center. Cause there's so much business in your database that I believe just goes, it's missed all the time if you're not paying attention to that. So
1: I guess that's kind of like, you know, it's about being strategic and how you stay, stay front and center of your, uh, of your database. And it's about owning yeah. that database because the channels are becoming fragmented, and the reality is, is people are spending their time, uh, fifty minutes here, fifty minutes there, fifty minutes here, forty minutes in another platform, but they're they're spending their time across these different th- platforms. YouTube is a huge player. Facebook remains a huge player. Instagram keeps uh, playing. Like uh, Reels has is, is become a big thing. Short forms on YouTube become a big thing. Short form on TikTok obviously is is a is a big thing. But how do you create? either content or uh, brand advertising in a way that keeps you relevant on those platforms. And then those platforms have algorithms that are biased towards new, fresh content, which means if you don't have a content creating engine that is uh, specifically crafted around call to actions, you're in real trouble. And you're talking about like, okay, we'll take that a step further and think about, well, what happens when the pixel's ending or what happens when... um, attribution is is completely changed so that it's all a black box again back to the newspaper world how how do you compete how do you stand out and how do you do that as a a business owner whose business depends on making sure that you are generating new um new relationships all the time and then how do you do that at a high level so that you are not just uh you know getting a deal here or there but you're actually building a business that creates the lifestyle that you um that you dream of and so this is becoming more and more challenging. And this is where I think the both the opportunity but also the, the reality is, is that it, it's, it's challenging for us too as, as a technology provider because we have to stay ahead of all these changes. And there's so much more our team has to be integrating and working on. So it gets incredibly expensive to support it because you're not just supporting one API or one integration, you're supporting multiple APIs, multiple integrations. And you're not just supporting one format or one placement, you're supporting multiple formats multiple placements on each of the different players and then you have to come up with content that that is new and working in those different um channels all that and then bundled into an app experience that feels easy and streamlined and simple it's it's a it's an exciting challenge but it's 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 definitely a worthy challenge it's it's not yeah it's it's interesting um it's 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 an interesting opportunity And just to kind
0: of build on that a little bit, you know, early days, I didn't realize that um, how much mark, how important marketing is to the survival of your company. You know, ultimately, you always want to build the best product. You always want to do. But it is it is also a true statement that, you know, second class products will beat a first class product with great marketing. In the sense of, you know, the first class product may just be so focused on the product, they forgot to ever get it out in front of the customers. And I think a lot of people hope that when you build something, you know, like, you know, the customers show up or they come, but you still have to find those early customers or you got to get it out there. And there's many, many kind of like uh, guerrilla style ways that existed to do that. And But once you've done that, you need to make sure that you can stand out and keep marketing. And it's all about communicating that message on an ongoing basis. That's why every company is so heavily focused on marketing. And make, I mean apple's another great example I mean they build an incredible product, but what did they think about all the time? It was their messaging and their marketing right like because that's going to connect to the consumer which is ultimately going to have an impact on the brand even though they got an incredibly great product they had to make sure that the marketing was there and i and I think in the a number of years ago when it came to just like digital you know I think it was a, maybe a little bit easier to find products I could be wrong, but I felt like it was like you just but there's more now than ever before and a book came out called predictable revenue years ago um, and on that book obviously it was really about like an outbound email strategy to grow your business and to what you were saying there John as well I totally agree like you need to be you know you need to be standing up because I we we realized with predictable revenue we thought okay some businesses can grow just through referrals and some can grow through an outbound strategy but I think today you have, to have, you have to have an advertising arm or marketing arm, like, and it's the same, to be able to get to your customers because all your customers are being advertised to, whether you're advertising to them or not, you need to make sure that you have a predictable strategy of driving new customers to your business. It is the fastest way to grow. Uh, real estate is a great example of that because I remember early days, a lot of realtors, and sometimes they might still say it, but not as much anymore. They would say, oh, I don't spend a dollar in advertising. I just go through, grow through referral. The fastest way to grow your real estate business, all the big teams do this, is through advertising. Because every time you bring in a new customer, you generate a customer that can become a referral for the future. But if you didn't advertise for that new customer, you wouldn't get them. Somebody else would get them, and so you're going to lose out on those referrals. So to grow through referrals basically means you have a set set of customers, and you're hoping you're going to grow, but you probably you have no predictability on that. Where when you have a strong marketing and advertising arm, you can actually grow predictably. But here's like here's can... the
1: other thing on that, I think, which is really like this whole podcast is about growing profitably. And the thing that uh, you know people don't realize is that through paid advertising, it's an incredibly powerful way of growing profitably because you get a tangible ROI. You know, for most businesses, so we're in the tech space. So we we understand we go to the conferences and we go to like if you get a two to four X ROI, that's considered like like amazing. In fact, if you get over a 4x ROI, the uh the it's you're supposed to be spending more money on advertising at that point and bring your your um ROI down because what it means is that you're leaving money on the table. You're not actually maximizing your 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 growth trajectory. For most service um businesses especially in in like the real estate space, like the average is a 15x ROI on our platform. 15x. That means like every dollar they're spending in real advertising, it's $15 in return. That's super fast and profitable way of growing. But here's the the kicker, and I think this is the part that really needs to like make sense: is that now, say you get somebody and you you turned it into 15x ROI. Get one referral from that person, you've just doubled your 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 ROAS. You've doubled your return on ad spend. You've doubled your, your return on your investment. And so the agents that we've worked with that have actually thrived the best on advertising, the ones that are the best, aren't the ones who are like uh, very transactional. It's the ones who are really good at referrals and they understand the importance of advertising. And so they go and they advertise, but then they're creating relationships that are quality relationships with their clients. And they're bu- they're just blowing up their businesses as a result. And that's the key. I think people just don't understand. Like they think it's like either it's like I spend money or I save money. It's like, well, no, it's about making sure that you're spending money accountably so that you can measurably see the ROI and invest in a business for the long term. That's creating value for your customer so much so that they are telling their friends and their family and their sphere that they need to work with you. And so, because you're you're serving them just to that level
0: yeah, it's very true. And um, I was even just thinking as you're saying that, like, I think human nature is, because like, it's so true, like our average customer would get at least 15x, not accounting the referrals. But because the nature, traditionally, a lot of our clients are in the real estate, like, because of the nature of the fact that that client might not show up for three months or six months, they would actually, many of them would probably take a 1.5 return if they could get it immediately and there was no risk. You know what I mean? But you can do it in like seven days, or four days, or five days, or whatever. And but what they don't realize is that the it's so much greater if you can just wait a little longer. In the sense of, you know, there if there was no risk, everybody would do it, and you wouldn't. There would be no you would make nothing if that makes sense because it would just be so crazy. Like it's the very fact that there's some time delay, and get that time delay is human is the human nature component that is going to get most people out of it they're going to panic and they're not going to do anything or they're going to feel like oh I'm generating these leads and I haven't generated any business from it like ah oh, I got to stop and they stop and where the other you know obviously those that know what they're doing and they've got that little bit and maybe they've seen it through and they they probably just witnessed it but once they have that confidence they just they just I mean they grow so fast and they oh, make so much work. I have a, of it.
1: a great a great story I heard yesterday that just uh blew my mind. So there's an oil and gas trader. And uh I don't know if you like so oil and gas traders, they 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 um it's very hard to get into, but if you get into it, you can do very well. And uh uh he had shorted um he had shorted natural gas. And this was at the start of the uh the COVID pandemic, and all of a sudden like oil shutting down um every and basically <clears throat> he lost $60 million in less than one month.
0: He said, so, but he was shorting it. I would have thought that he mm-hmm. would have been making money.
1: No, he because was it shorting it. Down. So, so basically the, the reality was is his position was going the opposite. He was counting on it to go to zero and natural gas oh, was starting to climb. And so, oh, so
0: it was just, it was gas. It was just basically oil that went to zero. Yes. So oil, oil went like to a point where you had, you were almost having to pay money to have it. Like, yes, like in other words, it was going opposite. So but now so he, he had made,
1: not- he made the wrong prediction because he had, he did not foresee COVID. He didn't, he didn't expect that to happen. And so in less than one month, he loses $60 million. And um, what would most people do in that scenario? Most people would panic. They, they, you know, um, but he he looked at that, and he, he, like that was like that was a huge loss for him, uh, significant. And what he decided to do in that moment is he stepped back and he kind of looked at his problem, and he thought, okay, well, if this is the reality, if this is the new direction, because it's all based on predictions, you just have no idea what the future holds. It's always easy to look back in time and say, oh yeah, that makes sense. He was so smart. But he was like, okay, I'm actually going to double down on natural gas. I think natural gas is going to go up. Well, we know based on on what happened, natural gas exploded, and so uh he ended up five xing his money over the <clears throat> the next six months and he and he made it all back and and then some significantly he made a um quite a bit uh, back and the reality there he said is that the challenge is that most people they struggle in in his career because they won't go through that that transition period they stress. When they're, at the, um, when, they're, when they're at a high and they stress even more when they're at a, a low. And so then that kind of unfolds, <clears throat> excuse me. So the, the reality there is, is, is what you were talking about is that not everybody is winning like that because not everybody's willing to go through the, the transition period where you can't see the results yet because that's the scariest part. It's, it's like people say, trust the process, but when you're the one who's leading the process, you're like I have nothing to tr- base it on, and so you you uh, you you just have to have that that resolve of that knowledge in your gut, or the ability to make change your play in the middle of it, and and actually take a totally different um, decision, so that you stay long enough to see the fruit of the um, of the effort. And, and I think that was that was really the the takeaway I got from when I was listening to that guy. I was like, wow, there's something really. Um, profound there and you're 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 touching on the same thing otherwise everyone would be doing it so
0: yeah i mean I, you know i what do they say one of the greatest what when people are looking for like, it's like not confidence it's security like assurance like it's like the, one of the biggest human needs is is security or assurance right it's which is the opposite of risk it's like a sense of um predictability in all things like, and we all like that. I mean, that would be very nice. So we, I, I feel that too, you know, as much as I can take risks and things it, it'd be nice to know, like it's guaranteed, right? Like whatever's guaranteed. And, and when you're, but, and business just isn't that there, there's a huge amount of, of risk. And obviously if you're investing, there's enormous amounts of risk and all, all of those things, but there's risk in really everything in life, but there's also risk in not doing things in life too. And you got to account for that. But when you, and that's, I think that special part, kind of touching back to the AI thing a little bit with the human component, which is humans have this ability that when they have resolve and they have a vision and they see something, they can literally bend space, time, and matter if your resolve is strong enough to see that vision come to light. And I think that you know, for anybody listening and if our, our clients that are listening or, you know, whatever you're working on and doing, like you're capable of so much if you, if, to you know, when you're talking about that, uh, going through that transition period or whatever else or that gap, if you can continue to hold that resolve and see it through. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, there's so many entrepreneurs and, but, but I'm, when I look at a guy like Elon Musk, you know, like he he has that in a and obviously as a rare capacity capacity like you know like and we don't need to get into that story but when you're taking on those particular challenges like spacex is an example of that like that is next level beyond next level in my mind of of seeing stuff come through but but you know everybody has that and you even have it in your small things in life and so just wherever just exercise that muscle i guess is my point like when you see something in life that you want, and maybe it's it's something that's just like a personal thing or it may, a fitness goal um, that you feel like is impossible, see yourself on the other side of that, being that person, becoming that person that re- that is that fitness goal in your mind and, and watch what that'll do to you and how that'll transform you when you actually accomplish it, right? Because it's, again, it's that it seems so impossible but once you hit it and you get there doesn't necessarily mean you'll have this um drive at the end. I think that that's something that I've noticed too is like you like uh your what's the word I'm looking for? Like oh, inspiration or ambition or whatever that that actually comes from action. Like you're much more likely to get that from action. Like don't expect the drive to just be there at the end either. Like you got to you have to constantly you're always climbing the mountain if that makes sense. But you will build a faith inside of yourself that that is, you can't put money on it. Like once you start to see it, I mean, like if Elon Musk lost everything, he could still do things that nobody could do again. And he would do them faster than anybody could do them again. If that makes sense, just because he has, he has something inside of him that you can't put money on anymore. And John, we've been through challenges in our business that are so big that our team, especially like we have a lot of our team that, that has been with us right from, from many, many years ago. And they've seen us go through things that we don't even know how we solved them. Like, like you literally couldn't even have solved them, some of those problems, and yet they were solved. And so it builds that like confidence and faith. And so even for a client, if you're day one using street text and you're generating leads and you wanted to make, become successful in the business and you feel like this is really hard, A, it's worth it. B, hard, you know, this is this is the make or break moment where most people the development of those skills is so critical to your business regardless in the future. It is so worth it. Don't lose faith in it. And once you've come through and, and got to the other side, what is, what else is possible?
1: Yeah. And take, take a moment to, to recognize exactly what you talked about earlier, where you said just recognize that the, the air, where you are today would blow the mind of your younger self. And so take a moment to recognize that because sometimes when we've accomplished things, we see the next mountain and we're comparing where we are, not to where we 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 came from, but we're comparing ourselves to where we want to be in the future. And it always looks hard when you're standing at the bottom of a mountain looking up. And so uh th- that perspective is is so powerful. So, Steve, um I've totally enjoyed this. This has been like a, a really cool, fun podcast. Uh, this has been a great session. I love this conversation. Uh what's one thing that you'd want to leave, uh, whoever's listening to this, uh, to with.
0: Well, I, I, maybe I already said it, you know, just, just a few minutes, like a few seconds ago. Cause I think what I would want to leave people with is, um, you know, life, like, I don't know who, or, you know, people say like life's about being happy (laughs) or, um, and I think what a lot of people almost kind of contrive from that sometimes is life is supposed to be easy and life, life is not supposed to, I really don't think it's supposed to be easy. I, I actually think it's supposed to be challenging because it is challenging. Like life is, it has a lot of challenges to it. It doesn't matter. It's the challenges come small and big and all different shapes and forms, but it's what it is. It's who you become as a result of those challenges and then how you can shine your light to inspire others. Right. And so even something that you're going through, that you're facing in your life today, and maybe it's learning how to just convert online leads. It may seem like a trivial thing or, or a hard thing or whatever else, but what that'll mean to you, what that'll mean to people watching you as you go through that, what that'll mean to your family um, in the future. Like these are, it's worthy challenges. Like look at every single thing in your life, like every obstacle in your life. Like we, you know, we often say, you know, every obstacle is, is an opportunity on the other side of that obstacle is an opportunity, especially because a lot of people don't go through those obstacles. And so there can sometimes be massive opportunity on the side of them, right? Like get back to Elon Musk, like electric cars, huge opportunity, huge obstacle. He got through it, huge opportunity, right? And now everybody's there, but you know, you he, he get it, you get the idea. And so I would just say that for every single, be it a challenge or an opportunity, there's obstacles within those things. And and embrace the fact that like life is climbing a mountain, but it's so worth the reward. But but more than even that, like you have no idea who's watching. Like you'd be amazed at all of the eyes on you that are watching, and what that'll mean to their life. And so, just con- that's I guess my my kind of want to leave you with is just continue, keep going, keep doing the keep doing the hard work, keep pushing on because. You, your life matters and the obstacles you face actually matter more than for, even for you, but for, for the greater good of, of all. Yeah. That makes sense.
1: I love that. Stephen. thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, I hope uh, whoever's listening really like there's something here that you can take away and, uh, and implement. And uh, as our, as our friends uh, Dan says, it's it's what's caught, not taught. And I feel like there's a lot of things in this conversation that are worth catching and uh, implementing. So thank you so much. I really appreciate this. This has been a lot of fun. It has been, man.
0: I actually, just being on this call with you today, um, you know, obviously we'll do, I hope to do more of these things, but this is, this is great. This is fun. I feel like this is even for us, just for you and me, for our journey, everything we've got to get here, even the fact that we're, we're doing this together, uh, this, is, this is another part of what it's all about. So I feel very honored to, uh, to have you as a business partner and to go through all the things we've gone through together in all the years together. And yeah, I just feel super honored. So thanks, John, for doing this. Let's go.